If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 23. I'll try to catch you up just a little bit, but uh, as we do that, I'll just tell you, this is a great day for Teresa and for me. Our daughter Lauren is here with us again. She doesn't live with us. I know that it's starting to look that way for y'all. We've offered that to her, but she decided she had a better plan. But uh, she's been able to be here, and our son came over from Conroe yesterday, and it's just been a good chance for us to to see family again. But uh, I think in this case, more importantly than what we've had with them the last couple of days is the sense of excitement that we have about being here and being your pastor and the opportunity to kind of settle into living again it's been quite a three weeks since i was here with you last we uh... had several people i've talked to i told them this but uh, the goodbyes of living someplace for twenty years are very difficult and it just kind of went on and on and on we've had i think what did we decide almost four hundred it seems like 400 meals, lunch, dinner, or breakfast with different people that were goodbye meals. And so they would call us and say, hey, we want to take you out before you leave town, and this was our chance to give them a formal goodbye, close friends, and just been very difficult. But in the process of that, every one of those goodbyes also was matched with the love and the encouragement and the support from the Crestwood family. And I want you to know we really do appreciate what you've done to pull us in. Some of the lowest moments of the last three weeks for us as we were saying goodbye to really important people in our lives and uh, we would come home and just be beat up. Teresa's last day at work, uh, you know, those kind of things. We'd come home and just emotionally be drained and go to the mailbox and open it and pull out this packet that came from Crestwood Baptist Church and it was notes and letters and those kind of things, drawings, many of the children whether in, I don't know, in Sunday school or whenever it was, but you pull those kids together and they colored stuff for us. It just lifted our spirits. And I want you to know from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you so much for the love that you've shown us as we've made this transition. It has been a wonderful experience that I don't want to have to go through again. Uh, (laughs) The goodbye part of it is just really hard. But the hello part of it has been wonderful. And along those lines, a bunch of teenagers sitting here. I want to know who's responsible for the yellow signs on Walton Road. All right? Raise your hands. Let's, let's see. Nobody, you, this is not one of those, you know, like you get sent to the principal's office thing. This is a, all right. Thank you. I want to tell you. Okay, maybe I should have done this first and then ask you. Thank you for what you did. Now, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I left some of the signs up in my yard. But I've turned down Walton Road coming in on Friday and uh, or Thursday or whenever it was. I don't remember now. But turned down that road, and here's these. They were your Bible school signs, and then they colored. I mean, not colored, but sorry, teenagers don't color, do they? Sorry. Uh, they had drawn some stuff on there and messages to us, and just every step of the way until finally got to my driveway and turned in, and then here's these signs saying, Welcome home, and to me and to Teresa, one of my favorites was uh, to the electric dog. And, uh, you know, you just have to know, out of all of the goodbyes that we did over the last three weeks, that hello that you gave us made my heart smile. And I want you to know I appreciate so much what you've done. It has been quite the transition. And I know the transition's not over. We're still working that way. But I'm excited about what God is doing in our lives 
and also the lives of you and this church as a whole. Several of you have stopped us today over the last few days, and you've said to us in one way or another, usually it comes to this, we're excited about what God's doing at Crestwood. And let me just stop again and say, if you happen to be visiting here today and you walked in on the preacher's first day as a preacher there, let me tell you something. The excitement level in this church is contagious. God is up to something here, and I'm excited about what he's going to do. And you've told me the same thing. But what I want to do today is take that excitement that we're talking about, and I want to pull it down and get behind it just a little bit. Why is it that we're excited? Now, I don't know how to answer that for you. I, I want you to be working on an answer. But I, I came to some conclusions on my own for me. Why are we excited with something as simple as a relocation? The answer is it's not a simple relocation. We're doing what we're doing as a family and as a church because we believe we've seen God's hand at work in this. Now, I know that because I've talked to individual members and the entire pastor search committee. I've talked to many of you. We can look and we can see God's hand at work. And when you see God's handiwork and you see God's hand at work, if you can't get excited about that, something's wrong with you. Let me, let me kind of make sure you understand where I'm coming from with that. Teresa and I spent two weeks in Israel back in May. Two summers ago, I had the opportunity to go to Turkey and tour the biblical sites of Revelation. You know that every one of those biblical sites of Revelation, those seven key churches that we find in the early chapters, those were the key churches of that time in all of the world as far as Christ, uh, Christianity was concerned. And every one of those is a pile of ruins today. In other words, we can look at that and say, God was at work here in the first century, but there's not much work out there on that pile of rocks today. So if we can say God is at work here today, that ought to get us a little bit excited, whether you're the excitable type or not. It would be a tragedy if we looked at ourselves and said, well, you know, the best days of this church are behind us. Under God, may that not be true. Now, I tell you, there's some good days behind this church. I thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with Brother Parks the other day. I mean, that guy, he just pulled me in. I was, I, you know, he could have gone on for hours and I'd have been fine. Talking about his experience here in the early days of this church. And as great as those are, if those are the best days of this church, something's wrong. So when we can say today, from mine and Teresa's side of it, and from your side of it, we're excited because we see what God's doing. That's good news. So I look at that and say, okay, the excitement, what's behind it? Well, okay, some of it is because we can see God's hand at work. But most of our excitement, I think what I'm hearing, is also tied to we can see forward what we hope God will do. Now, here's the problem with that. If your excitement is based on what you hope God's going to do, and we don't have any kind of sense of community about what God's going to do, then somebody's going to be disappointed for it's over with. The excitement's going to turn into disappointment. If you have in your mind what this new preacher is supposed to get done, 
and this new preacher turns out to be human like every other preacher around. Let me tell you, that's the end game here, okay? I'm going to turn out to be human just like every other preacher on the planet. But if your expectations of what needs to happen cause you to be excited and I don't live up to those expectations, then you're going to be disappointed or disgruntled or disconnected if we're not careful. Okay, so what I want to do today, I don't want to... I don't want to tamp down the excitement level because I think God's at work and we ought to be excited. What I do want to do is to pull us together and get on the same page together as we shoot forward. I want to talk to you about this idea of hope today. You see, that's the deal. We, excite, we get excited about what we hope God's going to do. I want to talk to you about hope today. And now that puts us in this Proverbs chapter 23 in verse 18. It's really a very short passage. And it says this, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Now, I suspect that there are many of you sitting out there going, okay, and uh, why is that such a special passage for us? I'm going to try to fill in the blanks for you with that as we go forward. But here's what I want to do. I want to zero in on the word hope. I want to try to get us to a biblical understanding of what the word hope is, which really helps us get off of shaky ground. The shaky ground part of hope is that, that we call wishful thinking. For instance, yesterday, we had to go into town, into to Beaumont, to take care of a little bit of shopping that we didn't think we could get done here. And so we went into Beaumont. Our oldest son was with us, came over from Conroe. And we went to eat lunch. But when we went to take care of our business, uh, I went to pay out and... I, okay, now, it's, it's confession time. Okay, you've already called me to be here. You can't change your vote, all right? So I'm going to be gut-level honest with you. I have been a Dallas Cowboys fan all of my life, all right? Now, half of you clap and half of you go, ah, sorry, dog, I knew I didn't like that guy. I am not Jerry Jones, okay? Does that help you like me a little bit more? All right. Now... I don't know how it happened. Years ago, uh, I got, when, when we were getting debit cards, I, I got one. I, I, I think I signed up for it. I don't really know. Uh, but it has a Dallas Cowboys logo on it, a star in the middle of it. And so when I went to pay out yesterday, I handed this guy my card, and he looked at it and he went, oh, you're a Cowboys fan. And I wanted to say to him, hey, it's hard enough, man. Don't give me, you know, don't reject me just because I'm a fan. It's hard enough being a fan. And he said uh, something, I remember what, and I said, look, I understand. I live now in Houston, Texans country. And so I'm going to do my best to shift my loyalties away from being a Cowboys to being a Texan fan. And his immediate response, he didn't blink an eye, his immediate response was, oh, you don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't? He said, oh, no, they never win. (laughs) To which I replied, Have you not watched the Cowboys for 20 years? (laughs) Now, what he was saying to me is this. There's no hope for the Texans. Maybe what he was saying was there's no hope for the Texan fans. Okay? Now, what's behind that? Why would he come across that way? It is wishful thinking that kicks in when we start talking about hope or about hopeless. 
And when we get locked into a wishful thinking mode when it comes to our everyday Christian living, it is very shaky ground. Because what happens then is we project onto God what we think needs to happen. And we hope that he'll make it happen. And if he doesn't make it happen, then he's at fault. Or at least in our thinking, that's the way it works. Case in point. When I was in high school, it was my senior year to be exact, coming out of my junior year into my senior year, uh, I was in band, okay? And I played the baritone, the euphonium, which is what Mike plays over here. And... Uh, Coming out of my junior year, into my senior year, I set this as my goal. I had two main goals. I played soccer, and I wanted us to make the state tournament on soccer team. And in band, I wanted an individual accomplishment. I wanted to make the all-state band. So I started practicing diligently. My hope was that I would work hard enough, and I would be able, you know, maybe find some talent somewhere, and be able to do what it took to make the All-State Band. It's a grueling process, and it's a very select group. And so I thought, I want to do that. That's what I'm going to set my mind to. And so all along, I hope I can do this. I talked to my parents. I talked to my band director. I talked to private lesson guy, all that kind of stuff. Work, work, work. Now, the closer I got to the time when you start having tryouts, the more I decided God needed to get in on this deal. I raised in a preacher's house. I knew there had to be a religious element, and at that point, I knew I needed all the help I could get. What harm could it do to get God in on? So I went to the Lord in prayer. I said, God, help me do this. I, I want to be in the All-State Band. I hope that I'm working hard enough. I hope that you'll be involved. Please do this for me. First, Now, there's a series of tryouts, and you have to be in the top two. The instrument I had top two in every one of them in order to move on. And they only took two from our region to the All-State Band. So I started off, first tryout, second chair. Qualified to try out for the second time. Second tryout, first chair. Yes, this is working. Prayer works. Now, you can remember, I'm living like the devil in the background. I already gave you my testimony. Third tryout, second chair again. Now, this is what I need to let you know. The person who, uh, it was me and this girl, she went to Odessa Permian. That was a terrible school. Don't let your kids go there ever. <laughs> me and this girl... That's bad English, but it works. Me and this girl were switching off, and I'd be first chair, and then she'd be first chair, and we'd go to the next tryout together, and we were pushing one another. When we got to the final tryout, after this last tryout, the top two would go to the, to the all-state band. But this included everybody from the Panhandle all the way out to El Paso and all the way down towards the Rio Grande Valley where I'm living now. And that whole section of Texas walked into this room and there was mid-30s, 33, I think, people trying out for two positions in the All-State Band. And so we went through the whole trial, every one of us sitting in there together, one after another, and they'd give us this hard. It was, that music was harder than Chinese arithmetic. I want you to know it was tough stuff. And so processing through it, working through it, playing our little section, they say, stop, next person. And everybody was dismissed out into the hallway. And I was out there praying, God, make this happen. God, you know, I've been working hard at this, making, you know, those deals with God that we do. They called three of us back into the room. Two spots, and they had a runoff from three people for those two spots. I was one of the three. Guess who the other one was, or one of the other ones? It's that girl from Permian. Wicked, wicked woman. That's not true. She was sweet. And so they had the three of us now trying out for two spots. 
And I'm praying while I'm in there. While they're, while they're pray, playing, I'm praying. God, make a mess up. I'm sure I prayed that. I'm just being honest with you. They dismissed us into the hallway. They called us back in, and they said, the two that have made it are, well, I was number three. And I made a bad choice on the spot. God abandoned me. I had set my hopes so firmly, that's wishful thinking, remember, so firmly on achieving that accomplishment that I decided to pull God into it. And when I didn't get what I, I wasn't satisfied with being the first alternate, that's a huge accomplishment as I look backwards. I wasn't satisfied with that because I didn't get what I wanted. And somehow God was at fault for that. That's the problem with hope, wishful thinking, in a Christian kind of context. And let me tell you how that applies to us here. As we come together and the excitement of what God is doing at Crestwood today is here and it's, it's tangible, we can feel it, and it gets all inside of us and we're going, yes, it's a great time to be there, but if you're not careful, you're going to turn right around. God's not going to do something that you're expecting to be done or do it outside of your timetable and all of the excitement's gone and somehow God's at fault, the leadership's at fault, the new preacher's at fault, everybody's at fault, but the bottom line is you drop off the map spiritually. That's what I did on that event. And I turned my back on God. You all know my story. You know how quickly I just went over the falls in sin after that event my senior year. Wishful thinking. Here's why that's so dangerous. Why it doesn't fit in a biblical context. Let me give you a couple of passages here. Because when we start taking the term hope in a biblical context, and we start plugging it, I mean, excuse me, taking the hope in our wishful thinking context and plugging it in into key passages of Scripture, doesn't fit. And we reduce truth of God to just suggestions of God. And that's always a mistake. Look at these two passages of Scripture. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You ever stop to think what that means? What does that mean, Christ in you, the hope of of glory. If we take hope as a wishful thinking kind of thing, then what this verse gets reduced to is this mystery of Christ in you could possibly, if everything worked out right, it might just mean that you have some hope in life. That is not at all what Paul's saying. Paul is driving home the point of the gospel, which is this glory, this Shekinah, this manifest presence of God. That is Christ in you. He's talking about sharing this truth, the mystery of the gospel with those outside of the Jewish race. And he's saying, this whole thing, this gospel that I preach to you is certain it's not wishful thinking. 
You see how this gets reduced to a suggestion if we take away hope and say it's just wishful thinking? I don't want a Christianity that has no certainty as it comes to God's involvement in my life. I don't need a Christianity like that. What I need is certainty that Jesus Christ is alive and with me because I'm just messed up enough that I'll foul up my life beyond repair in a heartbeat if he's not with me. The next passage, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, another use of the term hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does he mean by that? What is a living hope? If we reduce hope in a biblical sense to just wishful thinking, the tendency is going to be for us to just drop out on God because things just won't work out the way we want them to. In the best case scenario, wishful thinking for your hope leaves you in a dangerous place with God. Let's look at the biblical use, though. Let's see if we can't bring this home to help us get it down right. Here's my definition for hope as it's used in a biblical context. It is confident assurance. And see how that, I'm not finished with my definition, but I'll interrupt myself. I'm good at that. Um, Confident assurance. You see how that sets off against wishful thinking? Confident assurance. Now, what gives you confident assurance with God? Well, the, only, the only way you get confident assurance when it comes to God is if you have what God says. Because God is faithful. Hello? That's a good place for an amen if you happen to like amen. God is faithful. And so if he says this is the way it is, you can take it to the bank. And so the hope that we have then is this confident assurance based on the revealed word of God for you. Proverbs 23, 8. Let me pull that down for you a little bit now. Surely there is a future. Let me tell you how I came to this particular passage. I didn't really think when I was dealing with this last week that it would be the text for my first sermon here. I wanted one of those big flashy, no, I didn't really want that. I could have choose one, chosen one of those big flashy sermons, you know, Solomon's coronated and, you know, Joshua takes over for Moses, those kind of things, ones we typically go to for new starts. But in my own personal time with God last week, in the midst of all of that moving stuff, oh, man, that's moving stuff. And part of that process of moving involves changing jobs. Well, mine was pretty easy to figure out. I, I thought I had a place to go to to go to work. My wife is not quite so simple. And so we've been praying through that. She doesn't have a job that we've seen. We believe God has a job for her. But see, now that's back to the hope thing. Is it for sure that he has a job for her, or is it just wishful thinking that something will open up? It's a bad job economy out there, isn't it? So working through that, one morning I got up and I wasn't doing much sleeping a week ago. And uh, so I was praying, God, you need to show us. We need some certainties here because she's not going to have a job. And so I was working budget stuff and trying to put all that together, circling the wagons economically, you might say. And uh, I said, God, I need to know what you're doing here. 
is this in fact what you want us to do? I believed it was. We'd seen all this other stuff. I believe it was. Is that what you want us to do? And I said, I need you to show me something in Scripture. Now, one of the things I started doing years ago, I got this idea from Billy Graham, actually. And that is, if, just as one way of doing daily Bible study, take a chapter of Proverbs a day. And if you'll do that, you get through the whole chapter every month. I mean, through the whole book every month. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. You can take a chapter a day, and, and it works out very well. And so I've done that if occasionally, just kind of use that as a program. And, and I was doing it last month. And so on the 23rd day of, what was that, June, uh, it was this chapter. And I had just been praying, God, give me some kind of an answer of what we're doing here. Make sure that we're doing right because the future looks a little bit shaky at some points. I came to this passage. Back to it now. Surely there is a future. Now, I could have put a period there and been fine. God communicating to me through his word, the, the revealed word of God, there is a future. You know what that tells me? That tells me I'm not here to be the final pastor of this church. Hello? You understand that? I'm not here to bury a church. There are churches all over the place that right now the last pastor of that church is pastor. Because when he leaves or when he dies, the church dies. Lots of churches are dying these days. Lots of churches are dead these days. They just don't know it. Like a chicken that you wrung their head. Wrung their head. Snapped their head. Took, decapitated a chicken. Let's say it that way. <laughs> this church has a future. Let me tell you something. You ought to get excited about that. That's not Mark telling you that. That's Mark saying, this is what God said to me when I was worried about the future. Surely there is a future. And here's where the word hope comes in. And your hope will not be cut off. Man, that's shouting grounds for me. I don't shout much. That, that's good news. Because what that told me about our family was the confident assurance not wishful thinking. The confident assurance that we had in God's revealed plan for us was he's not finished with us yet. That's good news. Now, every morning since then, I wake up, and when that old stinking head of mine starts saying, okay, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? I can come back to a passage of Scripture, a revealed word of God that says, you're not done. I'm going to take care of you. Hope, in a biblical sense, is confident assurance based on the revealed Word of God. So we could go back to those two passages of Scripture in Colossians and 1 Peter, and we could see that what Paul is saying and what Peter is saying is your future is tied and safe in the hands of God because of Jesus Christ. And you can wishful think all day long, but you can be sure because God said it so. And so for us, I'll bring this to a close. As it relates to us as a church, what do we do with this? Psalm 119.81. Let's see that one very quickly. This is, by the way, if you're not aware of it, Psalm 119 is written in such a way it is a tribute to the law, Torah. 
And each letter of the Hebrew alphabet has a section, and every verse in that section starts with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so that's why it's so long. Uh, but it is a tribute. It is a way of teaching the Torah to those young Jewish students as they were growing up. And so in this particular section of Psalm 119, in other words, what I want you to get from that is it's tied directly to the Word of God. He says this, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your Word. Now, you think that's wishful thinking or confident assurance? That's a confident assurance if ever I heard one. As I face my future, I find confidence in God's promise. What do you think is the promise of God for Crestwood Baptist Church? The good news that I've told you already today is that the future of Crestwood Baptist Church is not in the hands of some new preacher. The better news is it's not in the hands of any select group in this church. The future of this church is in the hands of the head of this church, and that is Jesus Christ. And if we want to go into the future with excitement, based partially on what we see God doing today, but based also on where he's taking us, Let's do it on what we know he's saying, not on what we wish could happen. So here's my invitation to you today as a church. Join me as we pray that God would give us a clear statement from Scripture of what his plan for us is. Let me tell you how that plays out. I'd give you the long version of what happened in my previous church. I'll do that some other time. Let me tell you what happened when I was a youth pastor along these same lines. First year I was a youth pastor at that church in Edinburgh. Uh, Dory, you can come on up if you want. I'm finishing up here. First year I was a youth pastor at the church in Edinburgh. I took those kids to camp. And uh, as I did, God did a number on me and on us that week. And God began to show me some things through some other things that happened with a friend of mine. He was playing the piano. He'd written a, uh, a, uh, a musical for youth, and it was celebrating the community of a church. And I sat back watching that thinking, man, our church, if we tried to do that musical, we'd be lying because we don't have that, that investment in people. This church has that, by the way. I've really been impressed with that here. But I came away from that and I said, God, give me a verse of Scripture that I can take to those teenagers that will help them catch what we're about or what we're supposed to be about. In the book of Psalms, I was just reading through. I said, by the way, you can also do five Psalms a day and get you through the whole month in your own personal Bible. So I was reading through, and there's a verse of Scripture that said, and God sets the lonely in families. And I went to the kids one night and I said, you know, here's a verse of Scripture. I think that is God's word to us. This is a promise. And his church, I mean, a pretty good-sized city, a pretty decent-sized church, and a very small youth group that was very cliquish. And I said, I believe if we'll honor God, this is what he wants to do. Think of your friends who are lost. Think of your friends who are hurting. Think of your friends. Think of the people who are at your school who don't go to church anywhere. God has a plan for them, but no church is reaching them. What's going on with that? God sets the lonely in families. 
And they latched onto that, not because I said it, but because it was God's specific word to us at that time. And we watched over a three-year period as God began to reach through those kids into the schools and out to the streets and into places that no kid was being reached. And they started pulling them in. And lives were changed to the glory of God because those kids, most of whom had single-parent or no-parent families, and they found a safe place with God's family. What is God's word, his promise for Crestwood? Where are we going? The excitement of today will wear off, but God's promises endure forever. So my challenge to you, my invitation to you, is to pray with me that God would clearly reveal to us our future. We don't need to know all of it. We just need to know, here's the point to which we go. Let's pray. Let me ask you to stand, if you will, heads bowed and eyes closed. What we find now is uh, decision time. Sometimes invitation time, churches, people wait to see who's going to make a decision, who walks the aisle. The fact of the matter is every one of us makes a decision every invitation. If you've been confronted at all with God's word, you have to choose what you do with it. If you're a leader in this church, or if you think you might be, my challenge to you is to begin intentionally spending time with God in the days ahead. Asking Him for a clear promise that will help us move forward together. That He'll join our hearts together towards that goal. My commitment to you is I'll be doing that. And we'll do that together. But it wouldn't do us any good if God gave us a promise we weren't on the same page about it. So let's start praying that way. I've asked you before, I'll ask you again, what is your part? What is your role as we come together? God has a place for you in this church, not just a place to sit and enjoy. That's easy to do in this church. There's a lot to enjoy. A place to work, a place to serve. What's your place? especially want to say if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior the promise that you need to hear is that he has promised to give you life if you'll trust him you need him in your life sin separates us from him we're created for a relationship with the Holy God and our sin nature keeps us from that causes life to be less than livable so today if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior and you're willing to at least start a conversation about how to come to know him then I invite you to just make your way even now just step out and come down we'll talk with you pray with you set up a time we can talk more later if that's better for you but today is the appointed day for salvation you don't know Christ, now's the time. This message today has really been for the church here. What is your part? Where's God with you? 
invite you also. I'm getting ready to do this myself. I'm going to join this church. Some of you out there have been coming here for a long time, probably never taken the formal step of saying, I want to be a part of this body. Teresa and I are getting ready to join this church. We invite you to join with us. We'll start together today. If that's what you want to do, just step out and make your way now because we're almost finished here. What do you do with God and what he's saying? 